0: called Lessons in Love, Transforming Our Stories, Reaching Our Potential. It's going to run over the next four weeks. Um, uh, And uh, I'm uh, going to speak this morning, Uh, Jill's going to speak next week and then in the other two weeks there are going to be several people involved as we begin to uh, look at this really important subject together. So um, this morning, uh, part one, Stuck in a Moment, Trauma, and its impact. What we're going to be talking about over these next four weeks is how a community, a church, can become trauma resilient for us all, each one of us, so we can thrive. And how a church and any community can either become the the remover of trauma, it can become trauma resistant, it it can help extinguish trauma and bring wholeness. Or any system, just like any individual, can become the bearer of trauma. And churches, religious establishments, religions can create trauma for people. I'll explain a little bit more about what trauma is in a moment. Uh, for those of you who were born in the last century, uh, you'll know who this is. It's my uh, Michael Hutchins, who was the lead singer of In Excess. And um, this quote here, Stuck in a Moment, some of you would have recognised that as, as a, as a U2 uh, song title from an album they released in the year 2000, Stuck in a Moment. It's a brilliant song, and it's all about Michael. Because in 1999, Michael committed suicide. He committed suicide in a hotel. And what Bono, these words, the lyrics to this song, Stuck in a Moment, are worth reading, is a brilliant understanding of what happened to his friend, Michael Hutchins. He got stuck in a moment. And the lyrics simply say, you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. We'll return to that theme uh, through this morning and through these next four weeks. Now, speaking of trauma, I keep flicking backwards and forwards. This this uh, series is called Lessons in Love, and some of you who are even older will remember this. Um, it's a video series that I made in the late 1980s called Lessons in Love, and it was seven lessons that they used in schools. And uh, hands up, anybody who's ever watched had been unfortunate enough to have to endure this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly, there you go. In fact, it's a great link with trauma, isn't it? If you... <laughs> <laughs> if you had to listen to uh, my teen, uh, lessons for teens on sex and relationship... Uh, Congratulations on still being here. Thank you very much. Uh, my own children, Daniel put his, uh, he, and Emily put their hands up, in their school, they used to play these out, but uh, my kids, Abigail tells me, used to get special dispensation so they didn't have to go into the lesson uh, if, I was, if I was giving it, which is fantastic, isn't it, I suppose. That's the upside. Um, skip a lesson. Um, so... Here are two quotes. Um, There are very few monsters who warrant the fear that we have for them. And in the words of Jesus, the truth will set you free. There are very few monsters in life that warrant the fear that we have for them. But the tragedy is that so many of us live under whole layers of fear. In one sense, we all do. We're all, matra- all traumatized to one degree or another. We can be traumatized by a conversation with our boss. We can be traumatized, we can be traumatized. Oh, I've just got a lot louder around here, hoo hoo um, Am I ringing, is it? by a relationship. We can be traumatized by a sermon. Many of you would have heard me say before, be careful who you allow to pray for you and advise you spiritually. Because in that moment where you open yourself up to another person, great good can come, but great harm can come as well. We can be traumatized by an individual. We can be traumatized by an event. We can be traumatised by an upbringing. We can be traumatised by a system. Oasis runs, as you know, um, a great many schools, 52 schools. There's a trauma-inducing way of greeting a student. There's a trauma-inducing way of saying to them, do your tie up, stand in line, be quiet. There's a trauma-inducing way Of creating silence in an assembly. And there's a trauma releasing way. When you walk to the young person and you know darn well something of their story, or perhaps you don't know their story, but you say, Can I help you do your tie up? There's a silence that's an easy silence in an assembly hall. I only feature schools because I know them pretty well, and there's a silence which is a cold silence which is born out of fear. There's a way of a teacher entering a classroom which is trauma-releasing, unpacking, and there's a look on their face that's trauma-inducing for the right child or the wrong child. In the wrong circumstances, with the wrong start to that day, or the wrong history at home. So many of us get buried in trauma, and the trouble is that it impacts the way that we then run our lives, the decisions that we make, the attitudes we have, the way we behave in a relationship. So many of us have been hurt by relationships and want to begin new ones, but the very way in which we enter into the new one is a surefire way of building barriers between us and others because we all import our past into our present and into our future. I've talked about relationships. I've talked about schools. I'm not really talking about those things. They're just examples. In... um, the First World War, Uh, a term was uh, invented. It's called shell shock. You've heard of shell shock. And what it meant was, uh, then there were only men on the front lines. What it meant was, a man would desert the front line and be found and caught, and court-martialed, and often treated for shell shock, because people understood that shell shock looked like panic, that shell shock looked like flight instead of fight, that shell shock looked like an inability to be able to reason, that shell shock shock looked like an inability to be able to sleep or walk in a straight line even sometimes or hold a conversation, that shell shock robbed you of, your ability sometimes just to stand still. And many soldiers who deserted were then treated for shell shock because all those symptoms were seen and then they were shot for desertion. By the time of the Second World War, uh, the name uh, shell shock had uh, been replaced Um, But the understanding of the impact of being in such a stress-inducing situation hadn't changed. Let me tell you the story from the First World War of Frederick Arnold. He was 26 years old. He ran away in France. He was caught two days later. He was treated for the symptoms, he couldn't stop shaking, and he had a blindness. They treated him, hello, how are you doing, look at that, (laughs) there you go. Um, (laughs) We like to put these things on for you, you know. (laughs) Um, He was treated for two weeks in the field hospital. And when he'd stopped shaking and was able to stand still, they took him outside, tied him to a pole, and shot him dead. Leopold Desley was 25. Stephen Folds was 21. 306. 306 soldiers were shot in that way. It wasn't actually until 2006, almost a 100 years later, that the British government gave a formal posthumous pardon to all 306 British and Commonwealth uh, soldiers that were executed by a firing squad for diver- uh, desertion and cowardice in the, in the First World War. So we've changed the way that we think about all of this now. But the truth is, I put it to you, we've not changed. So here are some members of the British Armed Forces, happy and smiling. But here is a quote to think about, from John Harrison from the RA, an RAF chaplain, who was a former army nursing officer. The country was at war for 12 years in Afghanistan and Iraq. So we were at war in Afghanistan and Iraq. The country was at war for 12 years and a lot of long-term mental health problems manifest themselves long after veterans, ex-military, have left the service. The problem is a ticking time bomb. The problem is a ticking time bomb. Why? Because huge numbers of the homeless people on the streets of our city, this is shot taken this Christmas, are ex-military. We celebrate people that we say are brave and will fight for our freedom or will defend our freedom. But when years later, they sit on the street looking like that, we call them vagrants. And you'll pass them, some of you, in the tube stations and the tunnels in central London and shop doorways on your way home. I had a friend, a good friend, some years ago, you won't know his name, his name was Frank, Frank Field. And Frank um, was in the SAS. And Frank was the SAS leader who um, led the um, assault on the Iranian embassy which had been held hostage. Do you remember the the story? The Iranian embassy in London had been uh, taken over by a terrorist group and in the end, the SAS swung down off the top of the building and on ropes swung through uh, the the, uh, windows to save everyone. Frank was the leader of that. And in the years following, he became a good friend of mine. And he left the SAS at the age of 40. He grew up in uh, Newcastle, went into the army at at the age of 17, left at 40. He couldn't cope. I used to sit with him and he'd ask me to just look through his budget with him, married, with three kids. And we'd often meet and we'd talk like that. He was a Christian. And he committed suicide. And being in the SAS, he encoded his computer and it took the SAS a long while to crack the code. And he talked about why he committed suicide because he just could not cope with life not being in the SAS. And one of the things he said in his, on his computer that he wanted me to take his funeral at the SAS headquarters. So I went and I spoke at his funeral to all the SAS and army leaders and I talked to them about trauma it was in the 1970s after um, uh, as um, Vietnam unfolded that the term post traumatic stress disorder the thing we call PTSD first came to be used and now we talk about post trauma and post traumatic stress disorder all of the time I should say, as I talk about these things, and we're going to talk about these things over the next four four weeks, and us as individuals and us as a community, I should say that I'm deeply aware, of course, that many of you work in this area in one way or the other. But all of you who do work in this area will share one core understanding We are on the very cusp of beginning to understand how trauma works. Every expert in this field knows they have no expertise and everyone who contends to have expertise isn't an expert. Because our understanding of the human brain, the human mind, neuroscience, brain science, how the brain is structured, how it's impacted by our childhood experiences and the relationships we enjoy or endure. Every one of us is learning. In fact, um, there's a fantastic book written by one of the field leaders in this whole, whole, whole thing. He's called uh, Vessel uh, Bessel van der Klock, and he's written a book called *The Body Keeps the Score*. And if you should read it, uh, it's hard reading; it's not an easy um, kind of you know bedtime book. But um, if you if you read it, he he's uh, he works out of Boston, um, which is really on the forefront and the cutting edge of all our understanding of this uh, this this area at the moment. Um, he he in his book, in the last chapter, he says. Effectively, by the time this book is published, it will be out of date, because we're learning more about the brain every single day. It's the expanding understanding. So if you work in education, um, you don't get through a day now without somebody talking about, "Is this practice trauma-informed or not?" And everybody talks about therapeutically trauma-informed practices. It can all be rather confusing. What it actually means when you take all the jargon out is this. There's a way of smiling at a young person that helps them feel at peace in their skin, whatever they've come from. And there's a way of looking at them that increases the stress. There's a trauma informed and reducing way of walking into a classroom. And there's a trauma increasing way of walking into the classroom. Etc., etc., and all of this applies to all of us because the truth is we have no idea where somebody else is and what their experience is. What we do know returning to these soldiers is simply this facts when a country chooses to go to war, as we did in Afghanistan and Iraq. I'm not arguing the rights and wrongs of that, and I'm not trying to make a political statement about it. My job is just to tell you the facts. More people will die as a result of that war when they have come back into the country than die in the war. Every time. Every single time. Why is that? Because ex-military personnel will Kill themselves because they cannot cope with life and the nightmares that they are locked into. I'll return to that in a minute. In America, more people are killed through um, returning ex military than in any other country in the world. And that, of course, is because of the lax gun laws. So you take someone who's deeply traumatised by what they've seen in some jungle or desert or town somewhere and you put them in a situation where they have no friendship and they're isolated and they don't know how to build themselves out of their trauma and you make guns readily available at Walmart and you have a recipe for disaster. But still to here, the truth is more military personnel will die having been on the fields and now being back in country than will die on the battlefield. More, many more, will find it impossible to have a lifelong loving relationship. Their relationships will be destroyed by the nightmare that they can't get out of They're living in. Around 50% of ex-military personnel in our country will become and do become addicts of some sort, substance abuse, drug addicts, alcoholics or sex addicts looking for something that they just can't find in themselves. Over Christmas, uh, Cornelia and I, well not after Christmas actually, for the new year, as I think I was saying to some of those of you we were a few weeks ago, Cornelia and I went to America and we went to see a friend of mine called Tony Campolo but before doing that, or ours called Tony and Peggy, his wife, but before doing that we went to see Cornelia's brother um, who lives in Boston and uh, each morning um, I'd wake up um, dead early because you know you're five hours ahead of the States and see so your brains alert when it's only very early morning and so we'd listen to a local radio station uh, we don't know what it was but it kind of played a mix of music and kind of commentary on life, so in, in that part of the States, East Coast, so it, it was good, uh, it, it was interesting to listen to. And um, there was a whole piece one morning, in fact it was on January the 2nd, um, I remember, and the radio show was all about veterans, as they call them there, ex-military personnel. And um, they had an expert on, or a local organiser, and the and the radio presenter having a conversation. And I, I wrote down the words that they said, the ones that I could remember. They were talking about veterans, and, and the presenter said, Veterans, do you feel abandoned? We can offer you health care. And then the uh, organizer chipped in, Yes, and legal help, and financial help too, and clothing, and substance abuse support. We really care. The presenter said, it's so sad that in 2020, January the 2nd, we need to help our vets in this way, but we will do it. You're not alone. You're not forgotten. And the event organiser then said, yes, we have a whole day from 10 to 4 when you can come to our centre it's called our stand-up event and we will provide all of this help for you. So put it in your diary now. It's on Thursday, June the 4th. How many of those people will be dead by then? How many relationships ripped apart? June the 4th. It may as, they may as well have announced that it will be taking place on the surface of the moon. I was talking to um, a doctor who works in this field um, all of the time. It's his, he's a specialist consultant. And he'd given, um, he'd given somebody um, some drugs to deal with the trauma that they were living in because they'd been in military service and they couldn't get out of the nightmare. They'd seen some of their friends die. In fact, their little company had been ambushed in Iraq and he was the only one to survive. Everybody else was killed. And he just couldn't sleep. He lived in this nightmare forever going round. He never, ever got a night's sleep. The nightmares wouldn't go away. And so the consultant prescribed for him some really strong, powerful uh, drugs to help him sleep. And then the the consultant I was talking to saw him three weeks later, um, or some weeks later, for another consultation. And the doctor said to this guy, are the drugs working? Are you sleeping better? And the man broke down in front of him, crying. And he said, I don't take the drugs. Why don't you take the drugs, said the doctor. And the man simply said this, I don't take the drugs because I need to have my nightmares because I need to understand and be a living memorial to my dead friends. If I take the drugs, I forget them and I sleep. I cannot forget them so I cannot take the drugs. I have to remember their sacrifice. That Is trauma. That's extreme trauma. For every soldier traumatised in war, it's estimated that 30 children will be abused at home eventually. They will then be traumatised. More women have been killed in the States by returning partners than men were killed in either Afghanistan or Iraq more partners of returning soldiers so though we honour our ex-military when they end up on the tube line um, or a shop window or doorway looking like that we ask questions about because he's, he's been to a food bank I don't think it was ours he's been to a food bank, he's got Tesco's bag there Uh, uh, Merry Christmas, Tesco's bag. We say, ha, I still think these people are scroungers. They're not scroungers. They're locked in trauma. So what is trauma? Trauma is simply this. It's a fancy term for the ongoing threat that you might feel. It's the nightmare that you're living in. It's the moment that you're stuck in that you can't get out of. In truth, there is no such thing as post-traumatic stress disorder. Because if it's post-traumatic, it is no more. Do you see? Anything that I've got over, I'm not in. I'm not stuck in that moment. Post-traumatic stress disorder is real traumatic right now disorder. You are stuck in the moment. It's one of those terms that we've invented since the 70s and 80s and has become popular but tells us a lie about the real situation. You're stuck in it. And you could be stuck in that moment some of you my friends here I know through our conversations, you're stuck in a moment that's been induced by something you've suffered domestically or you've suffered in terms of a preacher who's preached at you and put you down For all sorts of reasons, you're stuck in that moment. It's the nightmare that we end up feeling trapped in. And what that means is that we end up feeling not fully alive. It creates a kind of sense of uncomfortableness and sometimes a sense of alienation. And I know as I talk, some of you will think I'm talking to you, but I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about a common experience. Of humanity. Trauma is about the nightmare of being overwhelmed, you know, frozen in that moment that we've talked about, just like Bono's song. Trauma, as I've just said, isn't post, it's alive and it's in your body. It stops you sitting like that. Let's do an exper- experiment. I'd like you all, to, I'd like you all just to slouch over and let yourself go, right? Let Slouch over, right? Right? And... Uh, and right, slouch, real slouch. Right now, what you got to do while you're like that, you're supposed to you, you try to feel really optimistic about 2020. Go on, slouch over like that and try to feel optimistic. How's it going? Not very well. Right now, I don't know who um, who's who who when you think about people that you really despise. you know, in public life or whatever. Do you know who that might be? What I'd like you to do now is sit up with your chest out and stretch this muscle here in your neck and chin up and now really try to hate that person. Go on, go like that and really try to hate them while you're sitting up. You can't. In actual fact, there's a huge connection between the way we hold ourselves the way we hold ourselves tells the story of who we are hence that book i told you about the body keeps the score our bodies keep the score of what's happened to us psychologically we are connected whole people and the way that's why things like mindfulness are so important that's why yoga which so many of you do, but I do not. Um, but it's, that's why it's so important. That's why exercise is so important. Because it's not like that. we're looking after that physical bit of our lives and the spiritual bit is somewhere else. The spiritual and the emotional are connected to the physical. We are whole people. So, here's the lesson for this morning I think is simply this trauma that is not dealt with will deal with you that's the point Trauma that is not dealt with will deal with you. If you tuck away into the back of your mind those things that you find it so hard to confront, the way you've been treated, the way you've been let down, the stuff that's happened to you in your life, if you put it in the back of your mind, it will fester. Trauma that is not dealt with will deal with you. And it increases... The problems that you'll encounter physically, in terms of your sleep, in terms of your overall health, in terms of your mental health, in terms of your emotions, it increases the risk in your life. To deal with our past and our trauma, our struggles, is really important as we move forward. Violent behaviour and depression, higher rates of disease, Lower wages, actually. Um, Employment that we can't rely on. All of these have a huge impact on us as individuals if we don't get past our struggles, our trauma. They have a huge impact on our whole economy as well. So I don't know where you are. I can only speak for myself. Trauma, by the way is sometimes from a person that the the nightmare you've endured is sometimes from a system, as I've said. Trauma is also induced by being the powerful. Things that you have done in the past where you have been the power broker and have abused another. But to hide that away is just as trauma-inducing as everything else. Trauma means this. It can mean that you end up, we end up, I'm not pointing at you, that we end up hating and rejecting people who are kind to us. Have you experienced that? Someone you're kind to and they despise you, they hate you, they reject you all of the time. They create a gap between you and them. It's uncomfortable because when a person's traumatized, they can end up rejecting the very people that love them. Trauma can mean that we get to love people or situations that are bad for us. We get addicted, drawn in, we can't let go. So the very people that we should be looking to, we alienate ourselves from, but we get drawn back into that relationship, that situation that's traumatizing us all the time. Trauma can be uh, can mean that we get numbed to things that are pleasurable, And we just that's why we don't feel fully alive. We're stuck. We can't find the pleasure in things. Because we can't get out of that moment, we're numbed. Trauma can mean that we come to hate ourselves, we can't love ourselves and so we self-harm in all sorts of ways that we choose to start with and then choose us and we can't get out of. Trauma can mean that we're sexually attracted to those who hurt us. And we can't get away from falling for those that we know will hurt us. We're drawn to what destroys us. So we seek liberation, all of us in life. There's none of us that's not scarred in some way or the other, but for some of us, these things are deeper and more pressing. It's said that Time Hill heals, isn't it? That, of course, is a lie. Time doesn't heal. Trauma that is not dealt with will deal with you. It will continue to deal with you through your life. Here is a great poem. I'm sure it's the whole poem. It's called Outwitted. He drew a circle. It was written in the the early uh, 1900s. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel a thing to flout but love and I had the wit to win we drew a circle and took him in that was part of the inspiration for the O of Oasis because God's love is inclusive a better I'm sure uh, Edwin wouldn't mind this he wrote it a better way of saying it for us is they drew a circle that shut us out heretics rebels things to flout but love and us we had the wit to win we drew a circle and took them in that has to be what this church is it's wonderful that we're here on a Sunday morning because Sunday mornings give us an opportunity to worship together together being the operative word to drink coffee together to talk together to laugh together to cry together to wrap arms round one another to set up coffee mornings and evenings and drinks in pubs and bible studies and running groups and you know poetry groups and walking groups and working on a food bank and or whatever we might to do because together we find our way forward in relationships that we can trust that is what this series, over the next four weeks, is going to all be about. And next week, we're going to be looking at community and the role that community plays in making us whole. When is the time we need community most? At the very moment, we don't think we need it. When is the time that you most, I know, most need to belong? At the very moment, I think, oh, I can't do this. I've learned through the years the hard lesson that I need you, and without you, I perhaps can survive, but I'll never thrive. So we go back and end with uh, where we started with um, with the First World War, shell shock. Nobody understood it as trauma then, so they just shot them. The problem is that metaphorically, We carry on shooting people who are struggling. So this week and through this series, the goal is to help us understand that we don't need to shoot ourselves, don't shoot yourself and help us to work to a place where we're not constantly shooting one another with our words, our tongues, putting each other down but we support one another. That's what this series is going to be about. Here are some words that i like you to, I'll read through to you, and then we're going to listen uh, to someone sing them. Holy, holy, dove descend, soft and slowly, when I'm near the end, when I can't cope, holy, holy, God defend, Shield me, show me, when I need a friend. Slowly, slowly, violence ends. Love reign o'er me, when I need a friend. We're going to listen to Chris Martin and Coldplay sing those words to us. And I'd like you to reflect.